0: Good morning, and welcome to the Taylor Talks podcast. Today on the show, we have the amazing Renee Strybel. She is a mom, a girlfriend, a business owner, a leader. She is so many things, but she also is a recovered addict. Today, we are going to dive into the topic of food is not the devil. Sound like something you might need to hear? And after the show, please listen for instructions on where to find a super awesome giveaway.
1: Oh my goodness. As you just heard, I am sitting with the incredible Renee Strivell. And we know each other outside of just the podcast. We've done (laughs) coaching together, some things like that. But you have a big one that when we were talking, you were like this, this is what people need to learn and what they need to (laughs) talk about. Renee, what is the thing you wished people had talked about
2: that you wish wasn't so shameful and a secret? Probably around food and that it's it's not a bad or a good thing. It's just a thing, right? Food is not the devil. It's not the devil. It's just it's just a thing. <laughs> right?
1: So let's dive into this because mm. this is a big topic for a lot of people is eating and food and diets and body image and self-worth and all of those things. And especially yeah. anybody who is raised like 70s, 80s, 90s with like the Kate Mosses of the world and this belief of what we had to look like. Man, I don't know a mom that wasn't in Weight Watchers or those tops classes yeah. or doing the like Jane Fonda aerobics. You know, Tuesday, Thursday mornings at ten a.m. at the aqua center, mm-hmm. right? Like this is this is your childhood too. This yeah. is very much how we were raised. For you, where did your journey with food start? And tell us a little bit about your story.
2: Well, my journey with food actually started when I was quite young. I was seven years old. I was a bit pudgy. You know, I look back at pictures and I really wasn't, but I mean, believed I was very, very pudgy. And, and you know, I was kind of of the belief system because that was the belief system that was generated was if you were thin, you're happy, right? If you're thin, your looks, if you looked good, if your hair was done, if you had a nice, shapely body, if you had all this kind of stuff, then you're happy. And if you weren't, then you were unhappy, you know? And I think we began i diet i began dieting at that age, right? And it was just I started to develop this relationship of food that was there was good food and there was bad food, and if I ate food, therefore i if I ate the bad food, therefore I was bad. Wow. but I really liked the bad food. I enjoyed it, it was tasty, you know, and then it turned into this thing where food became that got comfort for me at a very young age. You know, I had big emotions. I wore my heart on my sleeve. I still do. I feel everything. And food was was that thing that kind of just maybe settled me down a little bit and became a friend. It became that thing that I would use to just kind of get through those big times in my life, those big emotions, right? So it started when I was seven and, you know, and then the shame started to build with it too, you know, because I would gain weight because I was eating. And, but I didn't want to stop eating because it was the only thing I had in my life that I, that made me feel good, even for short, tiny bits of time. And so as I got older, it's just the cycle, like you would, you're always on a diet, you're thinking about a diet, you're eating the foods on the diet and restricting, and then you're, you know, and then you're breaking the diet, you're, you're cheating, which is a word, it's just the worst word in diet history ever. I cheated. Oh my God, I'm so bad. You know, and then you get this shame cycle and it just builds and builds. And one thing about an eating disorder, it's not something all of a sudden you just wake up and you have it. You no. know, it's it's no. built over time and, and you don't even realize, like I didn't realize I had an actual eating disorder until I was well into my late 20s. You know, I just thought that I could, couldn't control myself. I couldn't lose weight. Like I, I just couldn't lose weight. So, it was one of those things where I didn't even realize that I had some el- unhealthy connections with food.
1: Well, and let's break it down a little bit more. Like, so a few things, even just what you said, like cheating, we are ingrained even in school. Like, cheating is awful and it's bad mm. and it's horrible. Well, because it is, it goes against morally and ethically who we are mm. as humans to cheat. So, then when we incorporate that into an action or an activity, even in our eating, Okay, so I'm having this day where I actually enjoy my food or I eat things I quote unquote shouldn't. Yeah. But now I've attached this horrible, disgusting word to it, which just adds so much shame. Like, mm-hmm. just like the shame you're attaching to the food before you put it in your body. Like, that is so ridiculously unhealthy. Mm-hmm. But also going back, what was your parents' relationship like with food?
2: You know, I can't really comment on my dad because I never really noticed but my mom was the same she had she had a, just a really unhealthy relationship with food and she, she <laughs> struggled with her weight you know she didn't want me to go through the same thing right because kids you know when you're young they're they're kind of can, can be jerks and they can be mean if you're if you're overweight <laughs> and things like that you know <laughs> totally. and her intention was pure she just she didn't want me to go through that and and she struggled with it too so her relationship with food was very similar to what I was building, like a lot of shame around to it, there was good and bad. So you were bad if you ate this. And, and I think that's a really important distinction. It's not you shame yourself, if you eat a bad food, or you cheat, then you therefore are bad. Like this is like right in the core of who you are, you are a bad, bad person, if you do this. And that was a belief system that was ingrained in me at a very young age. And not just from my mom, but just from just everyone that's just the way it was oh society as a whole right yeah it was just i didn't i didn't really i was surrounded by people that had an unhealthy relationship with food and yeah. body image
1: oh 100% so mm-hmm. when did you realize that it was such a big issue you talk about realizing you had that you had an eating disorder in your late 20s so yeah. for most people listening they're probably thinking bulimia, anorexia, you know, they're thinking those ones, but you you had gone in the opposite direction.
2: I had a binge eating disorder. And so I, the amount of volume of food that I could ingest in one period of time was like astronomical, but it was, so I probably should should say that the reason that I had that is because I hated myself. And when when I looked in the mirror, I just saw this fat, you know, and one of the things that people would always say to me, oh, you have such a pretty face.
1: Oh, isn't that the greatest fat kind of compliment
2: ever? Right. And they'd say it in such a way with that, like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know? Yeah, I've gotten that since the aneurysm. Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Yeah. So You're it was beautiful like, okay. for a fat girl. Right. That's my personal <laughs> favorite. And I'm like, thank you.
2: Yes. Thank you <laughs> so much. Yeah, You yeah. just hugged me and slapped me at the same time. Right? <laughs> So I got to the point where I'd look in the mirror and I'd never look lower than my chin. Like yeah. I would just look at my face and I'd never look at my body because I couldn't. When I looked at my body, I was disgusted. It was—it's kind of a funny thing because when I looked at my body and I was disgusted, I tried. I remember watching the movie about Karen Carpenter and the Carpenters, and she yes. had anorexia bulimia. Yeah, and most people would watch that movie and just be like, "Oh my goodness." I thought of it as the best diet in the universe. When I watched that movie, I was like, that's it, right? I'm going to just not eat. And if I do eat, I'm going to throw up. And so I was like, this is perfect because the bulimia, like binge eating disorders, the difference really is binge eating is you still binge with bulimia, but you don't throw it up. You just eat eat it. You just actually eat it. Yeah, Yeah. And so I discovered that I wasn't really good. I didn't enjoy not eating. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't do it. But then I was like, I love food so much. So I'm going to, I'm going to binge and purge. And I didn't like purging. So then I kind of threw that out the window and I just binged. I could eat. I mean, my God, I remember I, this is what triggered the whole thing. I was with my, I don't think I was married yet. I may have been, I don't think I was, but I was with my husband at the time, and I had gone to my yet again Weight Watchers meeting because I had been to every diet. Yeah. I've, I've been on every diet imaginable. And I went to the meeting and we're doing a little group session. We we're talking, you know, just sharing. And I said, Do you ever, <laughs> I think about it now. And I know wonder people looked at me with like I had 10 heads, but I said, Do you ever go to the pantry and just open the door and stuff your face to the point that you're going to be sick? And then you be sick and then you go back and eat more. And all 40 people in the room looked at me like I had 10 heads. Oh, that's funny. Right? And I was like, oh, this isn't normal. I thought it was normal. I thought this is what people did. And I just didn't have enough willpower to lose weight. That was the problem. It wasn't that I had an issue. I didn't think. (laughs) Willpower. Right? And so I went home and I went home. I went to the pantry to begin to stuff my face. I stood there and I just started to cry because I just realized at that moment that what I was doing was not normal. And I said to my husband at the time, I'm like, I wonder if like, I've heard of 12 step programs. Do you think that there's a 12 step program, like for people like me? Because I said to him, I'm like, I think I have a problem with food. And he's like, yeah, like he knew, but he just, I said, do you think that there's a program out there for me? And that's what brought me to Overeaters Anonymous. Oh, wait, that was in 2010. Yeah. And that's what brought me. I was like, oh my goodness, I have a problem with food. You know? Huge. And with that, there's
1: often when there is, and we won't, we don't have to get into it, but often when there is, you know, an eating disorder or a hatred of your body or a hatred, there's usually a trauma attached to that, right? Mm. Where it's something has happened and it doesn't even have to be a huge thing, but something has happened, right? that has caused us to view ourselves as not worthy or ugly or gross. I mean, for me, it was overhearing a conversation of, about talking about how curvy I was already at nine years old mm. and how it was a problem and how could my mom cover me better for when I was swimming with my cousins. Mm. right? It wasn't even a huge trauma in the eyes of society. But that at that age already had imprinted so hard in my brain Mm -hmm. that my body Mm -hmm. was gross. Right. So with that, I know Overeaters Anonymous has been, it's it's an interesting topic for you. So let's let you guide where this goes. So what (laughs) happened with that and your relationship with food after you joined OA?
2: I went to my first meeting and if, I mean, if it, it away as a 12 step program. So, uh, everybody's quite familiar with those. And, and overdose anonymous does follow the Alcoholics Anonymous big book. To be honest with you, the first time I went to a meeting, I sat there. I didn't really say a word, but it actually was, it felt good because. The people in that room were saying what I was saying. They were experiencing what I was experiencing and they were open about it and some of them laughed about it. And it was just this like, okay, these people understand me. Like I didn't know I had an eating disorder and then I went into that meeting and I was like, and I had already knew and I was like, oh boy, this is something I knew. It now I'm like, oh dear, this is something I have to look at. And then those people were like, yeah, we do the same
1: things you do with food.
2: And it was yeah. like, I felt for the first time in my life, I felt Safe and I felt heard and I was like I'm not alone. Yeah, and it was it was really really good. And we I I was in OA for a bit and then I left and then I came back over a period of was well, 2022. So 11 last year I left OA for good, but it was 11 years. Mm-hmm. 11 years of my life was in and out of OA. We'll get to when I left <laughs> in a bit, <laughs> but what OA, OA taught me for a really long time was that. You know, you can, you can work through a lot of this kind of stuff when you have support. There's a lot of great things that I learned from away and there was a camaraderie and a community that, that I had. 100%. It was, mine. It was yeah. mine and I could be myself in those rooms and I could say the ridiculous things I did around food, like buying a dozen donuts for my family and eating them before I even got home, you know, right. and then having supper. And, you know, things like that and binge eating on chocolate bars and things like that. I could do that. And and nobody was like, you know, it was just like, yep, did that too. They just loved you because they had been there. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of that. And I think, It was built on that, and I I relied on it quite a bit, and it did help me in a lot of ways, you know. And there's there's a lot of benefits inside of the twelve step program because one of the things that it teaches you is number one to grow up and stop blaming everybody else for your problems, and (laughs) right, like (laughs) yeah. So there was a lot of own your shit, (laughs) own your shit, keep your side of the street clean, all of that kind of stuff. The twelve steps, the the premise of it is fabulous. Now one of the things that I might just jump a bit is one of the things about an eating disorder or something like that it encompasses your entire life. Every yeah. decision that you make, everything that you do, that is always in the background guiding you, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have no self-worth, you have no self-esteem, you have no idea who you are, or what you what you stand for. You get into relationships because you're trying to find somebody that can feed that insecure part of you, right? So the decisions yeah. that you make, the businesses you do, everything, it's all skewed by this. Yeah. What happened was when I started, I put the food down and I started working the 12 steps. A lot of things came clear that I'd made some decisions in my life that, that I would, probably wouldn't have made if I wasn't heavily involved in the eating disorder and all of the mental stuff that goes with it. And so I had to make some tough decisions in my life and a way actually helped me through that. Right. Because I wasn't eating over it. I had to put the food down and I had to actually face some of these things.
1: Well, it was, you couldn't run from your emotions anymore. No. That's often the hardest, right? Is with addiction, and I say this every day with clients, right? Is with addiction, when you're no longer participating in your addiction, you still have to find something to run away from your emotions. In. Mm-hmm. Right? So either you have to actually sit and face what you were running from in the first place, or people often will just find a new addiction. Yeah. Right? They'll just find something else to take their mind off of it to drown out those emotions and the voices in their head to still protect themselves. Yeah, because so much of the addiction, I believe, is just it's a protective mechanism. Absolutely, you just happen to stumble upon that thing that calmed
2: your brain for a second. Yours just happened to be food. It happened to be food. Food was the primary thing. But let me tell you, I, everything that I did in my life was to escape who I was and who I oh. who I didn't want to be. Me, I hated myself. I hated every part of me. I had no work. So yeah, it was food. But let me tell you, I worked way too hard. I probably (laughs) drank too much. You know, I did all of these things to excess. Everything was to excess. I shopped too much. I spent too much money. I, I did all of that kind of stuff. But food was the primary one for sure. That was the one. But when I started putting that stuff down, what do you think happened to the other stuff? I kind of went a little nutty for a while. (laughs) They all just got real bad. (laughs) They just got real bad, but I was refusing to see that. And then, I mean, OA was great. I lost 120 pounds. I felt good. So I used to, and I'll give you like near the end of my OA experience. I One of the things is, you know, I'm I'm addicted to sugar. And so one of the, okay, so one of the things that they say, and it's common is I'm powerless over food and my life is unmanageable. That's a standard saying in a way, yeah. because you admit that you are powerless and you need to get help really and find a, a higher power to help you through this. Right. That's- so, and some people it's God, some people it's universe, some people, it, you know, whatever it is to so find this. Basically it's just ask for help is really what it means totally. and, and surrender and trust that, you know, you just, you can't control this thing. And so that's the belief system that I believed was for the rest of my life, I will be powerless over food and my life will be unmanageable if I ingest the addictive foods that cause me to be powerless or engage in binge eating behavior or anything like that. So I, it was so deeply ingrained in me that I couldn't see, like I was a compulsive eater. I was an overeater. I was going to be that for the rest of my life. And food, (laughs) ironically, became the most powerful thing in my life because I gave it power when I was a kid. But when I put it down, I gave it more power. And I had no idea that that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Because when you say you are powerless over something, you mean that it has power over you. It controls every facet of you. And when I realized that, thanks to your help, I was like, Oh crap! <laughs> I've given food everything. I got to the point where I had to text my foods every day to a sponsor. I could not deviate from what I had indicated. If I did, I had to text them and give them a very good reason as to why. And I would go to I would come visit my boyfriend and I would bring a grocery store with me. Like I would bring all of the food that I had to eat because I had to wait and measure and record and report everything that went in my mouth. Well, and food that was actually making you physically ill. It was, it was healthy. Like you
1: literally, it was healthy food. But do you remember the day that I was like, what if you just didn't? And you were like, what? And I'm like, it's physically making you ill to eat what you're having to eat. And you're like, but this is what they told me I have to eat to stay healthy.
2: Yeah, I was physically sick. Like, and, and my stomach was in pain all the time. And like my digestive system was a disaster. And so- you know, but I was losing weight, I felt great. And you know, one of the things that OA did teach me is once I lost 120 pounds, I finally went, I can lose weight. I can lose weight. Yeah. <laughs> I convinced myself for years that I just I couldn't I wasn't capable of but that yeah. taught me that I could I know what I need to do just not to that extreme. But it was like, do you know what it's like to go to somebody's house and bring a grocery store or go to somebody's house and they've made you dinner and you have to say no? Or you want to plan a vacation, but you're terrified because you do not know what the restaurants are in Mexico, and you don't know how you're going to eat there, and the mm-hmm. stress that it causes for the people around. You. But I had accepted that that was what I was going to have to do to remain sane, right? Like that's what we're taught. And another thing is, is when you're in o. a way part of this little cub, and normal people just don't understand. So you kind of get in your little <laughs> your little bubble of people yeah. that they get you, and nobody else gets you, and they don't have to understand. You know what else I taught? I found out is I taught my son. And this is probably one of the biggest things that shifted for me was I had taught my son that I had some allergy to food, that I was different than other people, and I I created. The, uh, here's a funny thing: I went to a way to stop having an eating disorder, but I think I actually created one. But I had I taught I taught I to my son that I was there was something that was wrong with me. Does that mean that maybe I taught him that he thought maybe something was wrong with him too? You when I was talking to you, I was celebrating my one year, it was 2021. And I had actually lost 120 pounds and I had booked my tummy tuck surgery because I wanted to get rid of all the excess skin because I loved my body. I just didn't love the extra skin, which by the way, that's not how it works. But you either love it all or you don't. It's just the way it is. So yeah, I booked that celebrated my one year. And I was talking to you on the day that it was my one year of abstinence. So clean and sober essentially is what it means. This is my absence. I followed this rate and measure food plan for a year, lost the weight and I was celebrating. <laughs> you posed a question to me and it rocked my entire world. And this, by this time, you and I had been working together, what, a year by this point? No. Oh, Let's, I, no, not
1: even. It wasn't very long at that point.
2: no. And you said to me, like, you, you know, that OA doesn't own your recovery. And I looked at you and you shattered me, you shattered everything. And you were like, you did it. That's yours. Not that. I sat there and I didn't even, I didn't even know. Cause I attribute, cause I think I was, I think if you were correct me, if I'm wrong, I was talking about how OA saved my life. She's like, no, they didn't. No, I was like, you did, you did the work. Yeah. And I was like, Nope, yeah. nope. Couldn't have done it myself. I, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it shattered me. It it eventually got to a couple of, well, not even that long. We talked about me leaving away. And then one day I was like, I'm done. April first, I was done, you know, a month later.
1: Yes. I remember that day when I said that. And the, the flood of emotions that came across your face from like, rage, to fear, to, more rage, <laughs> like, <laughs> excited, and then back to rage. Like you were, like yeah, it it definitely shattered you in that moment. But the conversation that happened after was, what if you actually owned your own recovery? What if you took charge of it? And what if you stopped identifying as a compulsive binge eater and stopped identifying as all those things, so that you stopped
2: creating it? Yes, I didn't know how to handle that when you said that. I I just didn't. Right. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, and it it basically it shocked me. But I think partly it hit me so hard and shocked me so great much because you were right. It you you were right, and I just I knew that I knew that, but I didn't know what to do with it. There was a tiny, eensy-weensy glimmer of hope that maybe I could be normal. I couldn't, I couldn't see how I was going to get there. I had no idea how I was going to get there, but I knew that I had you. (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> you're I like, I can call you and be like, "What the hell? <laughs> what is going on?" Right? So <laughs> yeah. Ugh, so I get emotional about this, but it just rocked me to the core because I believed that I was just going to be a binge, a compulsive eater for the rest of my life. That's just the way it was. And then we, we, I made the decision to leave away. I was terrified, and it was really funny because I called my sponsor and told her, and I said, "I've made the decision to go my own way. I'm leaving away." She was just like. It's not going to work essentially was the general message like you're going to fail and you're going to eat again and you're going to get that and you're going to, you know, all this kind of stuff was essentially the message that was given to me because that's what we believe. When somebody leaves the program, we kind of like, oh, dear. Yeah, they're back out. They're back out there. They're eating again. Yeah. You know, when you, when you talk to somebody, a lot of times when you call in or you talk to somebody in the program, like, how's your food? Like usually first questions, you know, how's your food eating? How's your absence? You know, how, like, it's not like, how are you? Like, how are you doing? Right. It's, it's a really interesting thing. And when I left away, it's kind of like, like a really bad divorce at first, because <laughs> you're just like anger, You you're like angry. And then you're trying to figure out what the problem is, is when you've been programmed for that long to believe certain things, to break that programming is really hard psychologically and emotionally. You're very lost yeah. on who you are. I was I was so lost. I just, I was so lost. I didn't know. And I was angry because I felt that OA took so much from me. They took 10 years of my life you know, where would I have been if I didn't go there? And I was really, really angry for a long time. And then we we, you and I did some exercises around food. And I remember I was talking to you one day. And I think we're just talking about like, I really wanted nachos and cheese or something. I can't remember where it was. (laughs) You wanted chips and salsa. You wanted
1: chips and salsa. You're like, but I can't that's bad.
2: That's bad. And it's not at my mealtime. Like I can't have snacks. Yeah. And you're like, go get one. (laughs) And I was like, I remember, and 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 if anybody's listening to this and is and resonates with this, is you think about it like I think about it now, and I can laugh about it. But let me tell you, in that moment, it was the scariest thing that I had to do because I had believed one hundred and fifty percent with every fiber of my being that if I ate that chip, one chip, if I ate that chip, then my life would fall apart, that I would unravel, that. I would lose it all. Mm -hmm. Well, you'd been taught though that then you
1: broke your abstinence and then you lost your recovery from eating that one chip. And I remember that's when we had talked about what is food? What is it? Food doesn't hold emotions. It doesn't hold any of that. It's just food. Like Mm -hmm. it's not the devil. It is a singular potato chip. But when we've been raised where emotion is so attached to food, Food's not in the, like, emotions aren't in the food. Emotions are attached to the food. Yes. Right? We're like, we know that at birthdays we have cake. Right? We know that at, like, all of these celebratory times in our lives, all of these things, we reward ourselves with it. We eat when we're sad. We eat when we're happy. We eat when we're grieving. We eat when we're celebrating. Like, it does, it becomes a whole thing where food doesn't actually have emotion. It's, Just food. Just food. Right? And I know that was the exercise that we had gone through that day was, it was like, look at the chip. Like, what does it feel? Like, what are all the emotions coming up? And then we Mm -hmm. faced them. So talk Uh, about that and how we did that. You made me look at the chip. (laughs) I just, I I don't mean to minimize it. No, it sounds totally silly thinking about it. But in that moment, it was so big for you in that moment. It was so big.
2: And I'm looking at the chip and the salsa and you're like, okay, what I'm like, it's just a, it's a chip. It's, and you made me describe it and things like that. And I really wanted it. I wanted the chips and salsa and, and it, I looked at the chip and it represented to me was failure. It represented um a break in my abstinence. It represented that if who I was as a person, mm-hmm. if I was, I was making a decision, I was defying oh, I was defying this. I was bad. I was cheating. I was... Those words. <laughs> oh, God, you know? And I was just a failure yeah. and I was just worthless and I'm destroying what I built. I am I know I'm looking down because I'm pretending I'm looking at the chip that, that yeah. hey, you know, because I had it sitting right here. Actually, I was in this yeah, room. Yeah, you did. It was in that room on the corner yeah. of that desk. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I had it sitting right here and all of this flood of emotions came. And you're like, okay, let's let you eat the chip. And oh, I couldn't. I did. And then <laughs> I, I, I took a bite and I broke down. I completely broke down. Everything just came flooding about all of the things that I have just wrecked everything. I have just destroyed everything that I've wow. been trying so hard to, 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 to do. And I tasted it. I remember, I don't remember the taste of the chip. It Was good, but I don't remember. I just remember what it symbolized, and at that moment, I was terrified, absolutely terrified of what I'd done. And how many times did I say to you, like, I should go back away? I should I just? I think it, was like, it was like, it was like going back to an abusive marriage. It was just like I just, I just had to go back. I just didn't know. I had absolutely no faith in myself. Like, right? None. right? It was just a freaking chip. But at that time, it was my life. It symbolized my life.
1: And facing the emotions that you had attached to it, then it was like, okay, so these are the emotions that you've been running from. Now, how do we deal with those? Yeah. Right? To heal that and take the emotions off of the food so the food can actually just be the medicine that fuels your body. And that's it. It doesn't have to be, like, we keep coming back to this, but, like, food isn't the devil.
2: No, no.
1: Food is a double-edged sword is what it is. It can be amazing and beautiful and it can feed you and nourish you and give you energy and keep you going. But if we attach a horrible meaning to it,
2: mm-hmm. it can just, it controls you.
1: It controls you and destroys you.
2: Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. So That's...
1: we went through a whole lot of work. Yes. Right. And looking back at You know, what had gone on, the relationship with food, all those things. I remember one time, and I know you've given me permission to share some stuff, right? So I'm not breaking confidence on this. No, no, go ahead. We had gone to a farmer's market together. And we'd been working through so much of like the emotion towards food and the anger towards it and the hatred of it. And I said, okay, so let's test it and see what happens. And we went to a farmer's market and... A really good one with like amazing baking and all of the the cheat foods, right? Yeah. And as we walked around, every time you'd be like, oh, that. I'm not allowed that. I'd be like, okay, let's buy it. And I don't (laughs) even want to know how many hundreds of dollars we spent on food that day at the farmer's market. But we took it back to my office and we sat and looked at it. And I was like, take a bite. And one by one, do you remember that? And we went like item by item and there was no emotion left. And you could eat like one little bite and you were like, that's enough. Yes, Right. You at no point did you need to binge it, right? And we even tested with like, we put a bunch of it even in your room. Yeah, Like you took it home with you and had it and threw it out however many days later because you were like, it doesn't hold the power anymore. Like mm-hmm. I could take a bite and be okay with it because it wasn't in charge of me. I was in charge of it.
2: Yes. Yeah. That was huge. That was, that was life changing really. I got to the point where I actually saw what I, like the gifts that I did receive from away because there was a lot of gifts. I, I finally was able to let go of the anger that I attached to it. Oh, there were so many gifts. Oh, so many gifts. But what, what I learned was is always. is, when I was starting out and I was so deep into it and I was just so, I was so broken around it. I didn't know what to do. Oh, I did. Going to away probably shifted and saved my life at that moment and gave me tools and also taught me that I actually was capable. Um, once I realized that it was me doing it, you know, but one of the things that, that I feel that, you know, it only it can only take you so far. And I think there's a difference between living and having a life. And I think, I think I was surviving. And I was living, but was I truly Mm -hmm. loving and living my life to the fullest of my capabilities? No, no, I was not. And food still had more control over me in a way than it did before, because it was the only focus that I focused so much on, on my behaviors around food and what I ate and when I ate and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it became a really big focus of my life. I fully live now, but I wasn't fully living then but I had to do the hard work. Um, You did. You did have to do the hard work. Go through all the traumas.
1: All the traumas.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Heal some pain. Heal some pain. Heal
1: heal the pain and go back
2: to the reasons why I used food. I, I had to go all the way back all the way back to those times and it was like okay this is the reason this is the attachment this is how I developed an attachment with food and this is why I have the attachment and one of the things in in 12 step programs while they talk about and I'll say oh wait mainly because I haven't really attended the other ones is how you got here really doesn't matter. Like and I think what they're saying is you know like it's nobody's fault that you're here but how you get there actually really, really matters if you want to truly heal. And it's not about blame. It's not about saying my parents weren't good enough, they didn't raise me right, or they didn't no. love me, or whatever. It's no, nothing not to all. do with that. It's how did I get to the point where I'm making the decisions that I'm making, and how can I let go and forgive and just just love and and go through compassion and things like that, so that it no longer drives my decisions. Right, and and that's healing, and that's beautiful. Oh. And yeah, it's been, it's been
1: really cool to be part of your journey with that. Mm -hmm. So for somebody else listening that is like, oh, okay, so I don't, maybe I don't binge eat. Maybe I'm not even like fully anorexic. Maybe I'm not whatever, but I have a really unhealthy relationship with food. What is one piece of advice or a glimmer of hope or something that you could
2: give them? If I had to say something is number one, you're not alone. You know, there's so many of us yeah. and we need to talk about it more and we need not to not be ashamed about it.
1: I don't know very many people that don't have an unhealthy relationship with food.
2: Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think it's okay to it's just to talk about it and let go of the shame around it because shame will yeah. keep you eating. Shame will keep you in, in that space, but you're okay. You can handle more than you think you can and eating whatever it is that day to take away the pain, maybe that's what you need right now. But it doesn't mean that you're going to need it forever. And one day you're not, you're going to be able to actually face life and go through life and go through hardship and pain and sadness and happiness and all of the emotions without having to, to suppress those. Cause all emotions are valid. Being sad, being happy, being angry, being lonely, all of them are valid and you have every right to feel them. And Give yourself permission to do that because when we eat or we do something like that, we're trying to tamp that part of us down and food isn't a friend. It may be for the time. Like I can honestly say there are moments in my life that food probably did save my life. I needed it at that time Mm -hmm. because I probably wouldn't be here today if I wasn't eating. So I think it's just forgive yourself, give yourself some love. Don't you don't need to feel shame around it, but if you're not liking the way you feel when you eat, if you find that that's yeah. what you turn to when things happen in your life, then maybe it's a time when you're ready that you can let it go and it's completely possible to do. But be prepared to do some work. Don't it's not like the easiest thing in the world to do, but if you're ready, there's People that can help you. There's Don that can help you. You're not alone. Jeez, if you message me, I'll talk to you. Possible.
1: <laughs> right? But it's possible. And I think that that's the thing that people just believe. Like, it's really hard not to believe. And I know you and I have both been there that we're too broken.
2: Yeah. Mm-mm.
1: Right? That we're too broken to get help or we're too hurt. And it's like, no. No.
2: No, no, sweetheart. Not, no, at, not all. at all.
1: Not at all. There's always hope. There's always There's hope. There's
2: always hope.
1: Right. So Mm -hmm. to finish this off, thank you so much for sharing and being so vulnerable and talking about it. Because yes, we need to, we need to talk about food. We need to talk about shame. We need, I mean, this is the whole point of this podcast, right? Is let's Mm -hmm. have the hard conversations and normalize them. Let's add humanity to them and normalize them. So let's do just some like rapid fire, just quick, silly questions that I don't know. I love, I love these things. What is something in your life that you spend a silly amount of money on?
2: Oh, geez, coffee cups. I, <laughs> I love coffee cups and I spend a ridiculous and then I have too many. Yeah. Yeah. But they, I actually pick a coffee cup depending on my my mood that day. So I need a variety because some days I'm not. I'm get You're so, preaching to <laughs> the choir.
1: Someone was over for coffee the other day and I have like a bit of a bougie coffee set going on. You've seen it. and. Yeah. And I was like, what kind of, what's your mug style today? And she looked at me and she's like, Oh, you get me. And it was like, I was like, do you need one that is angled like this or angled like this? Or you can hold with your hand like this. And she's like, Oh, you're hilarious. And I was like, it's a thing. I totally get this. Yeah. I love that. What's your secret guilty pleasure way to decompress?
2: Well, I don't know if it's a guilty. <laughs>
1: I'm not gonna say that one. Uh, you can, man. It's <laughs> it's rated R podcast.
2: Let's just okay. I'm a very sexual
1: person. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. You can
2: I like understand. That. That. Ride my horse. Dance in the kitchen by myself. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. But- I love you.
1: Um, What purchase of $100 or less that you have made
2: recently has most positively impacted your life? Jeez, you're really getting good on these ones, hey? There's a book called The High Five Journal. It's written by Mel Robbins. And and I love it. I write it in every day. Yeah. So yeah, I really like it.
1: And what is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love?
2: An absurd, unusual habit. I don't know. I That's a good question. The absurd thing that I love. Well, like I love, an
1: unusual habit you have?
2: You'd have to ask my boyfriend that question. I don't even know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm trying, my, my son would probably know. Oh, being inappropriate. Yeah, I think it's a habit because it just happens. I don't really have a filter and then I say something inappropriate and I think it's hilarious, but not everybody does. So
1: (laughs) mind of a twelve-year-old boy.
2: (laughs) Yeah, great,
1: mom. Yeah, so (laughs) that is awesome. Yeah, Renee, thank you so much for being here. You are such a rock star and have fought so hard to get here. And I hope that this conversation hits somebody in the feels that somebody learns something from it, or just looks at their meal a little different next time they go to look at it. But also, if they know someone who has an eating disorder, that they'll have a different level of love and grace for them. Yes. An understanding of what it is that they're going through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please, please, please reach out to, I mean, OA to either of us. All the contact information is in the show notes. There's also going to be a really fun giveaway little freebie for you if you go to the show notes and click the link please
0: listen wherever you hang out with your podcast wherever you listen to your podcast on spotify or itunes wherever they are and we'll see you again here in a couple weeks thank you so much for hanging out with Renee and i today i don't know about you but it definitely made me look at food different and even as some eating disorder struggles in my own past I hope that you are walking away from it with a few fun takeaways, maybe some deep conversations you need to have with yourself or others, and that you're around again in two weeks for our next episode. Check out the show notes located at thetaylorway.ca for your free fun download. I promise it's worth it. And for more information on your name, how to find her.